0: They're untold millions of broken lives put back together because of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news. You don't have to die and go to hell. You don't have to live this life separated from God Almighty. You and God can be reunited through Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful news? Well, a couple of weeks back, I made mention about wanting to do um, sort of a series on faith and to be talking about faith. And so today is the day we're going to begin. And I thought, now where should we begin? I guess the answer is to begin at the beginning. Does that make sense? And so I want to today share with you the basics of living by faith. The Bible tells us the just shall live by faith. But what does that mean? How does it apply to our lives? Uh, what is faith and wh- wh- what is it we're supposed to do? Well, another word for faith is the word trust. Now, when you get right down to the bottom line, they essentially mean the same thing. However, uh, trust tends to be more on a human level, whereas faith tends to be more in a divine level. You're including God. You're putting your trust in God. And for that, we call it faith. I want to tell you an interesting story that happened about a young man that had a lot of uh, faith in himself or trust in himself. It happened back in 2004, this young 18 year old high school student. And his name was Mike Sessions and uh, don't put the picture up yet, guys. Wait till I, uh, wait till I tell you, okay? But um, he was running for the position of uh, vice president at Hillsdale High School, uh, being part of the student council back in 2004. Um, anyhow, he lost. He, he didn't win it. And so right then and there, he vowed that he would make a political comeback. And so what he did was the next year in 2005. uh, Now, maybe I made a mistake. He would have been 17, I guess, in 2004. And he was 18, his graduating year uh, in 2005. I think I got that right. And so what he did in 2005 was he got himself elected mayor of the city of Hillsdale. Now, the population of Hillsdale is 8,200. But still, it was quite an amazing thing. An 18-year-old kid, to the shock of many people in town that year, this 18-year-old had beaten out his only other competitor, a 51-year-old man, and he beat him by two votes. And so we now have a picture of this young guy, Mike Sessions. Show his picture. There he is there. And he is actually sitting in the mayor's chair. And he's all of 18 years old, right there you have it. Isn't that something? Well, people wonder how in the world did he ever do it? Well, one of his secrets was that he had $700 that he used as his advertising budget. How about that? Yes, you say that's just a spit in the ocean. That's not very much. And he saved up that money one summer. And so in the three weeks before the election, Mike got a few of his classmates to help him uh, organize public meetings and canvass the neighborhoods each day after school, he'd pick an area and he'd go door to door telling people who he was and that he was running for mayor. Well, some people laughed, others shut the door, but the mood of the town soon shifted. And a lot of people seemed very impressed with this hard working 18 year old kid. And uh, when he got elected, I mean, it just made sensational news. He and his family were whisked off to do uh, an interview with David Letterman on the Tonight Show in New York City. And apparently the phones rang at City Hall uh, with curious calls and uh, three Hollywood studios wanting each of them to buy the rights to Mike's story. And so we say, wow, that is really interesting. That's, that's a credit to Mike, I guess. And uh, the point is, here's a young man that had a lot of faith or trust, but not in God. He had it in himself. He had it in himself. Now, what we're talking about today is a different kind of faith. You see, the truth is in us that is in our flesh dwelleth no good thing. That's what the scriptures teach us. Our faith must be in the most high God. That's where our faith and our trust must be. And so we're going to look at that now this morning together. And with your Bible open in Romans and chapter 10, let's close our eyes first for a word of prayer. Our heavenly father, we humble ourselves at your throne and we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, Thank you, Lord, for each and everyone who's born again and knows you as personal uh, Heavenly Father and knows Jesus as personal Savior. And what an exciting thing that is to live this life in this world as a child of God, not by anything which we have done, but by what Jesus did and his simple offer of salvation as a free gift. And all we did was receive it. And now, dear Father, I ask that you would please help each and every one to increase their faith and their joy and their love for you. And Lord, I pray that great things would happen in people's lives as we do this study today and God willing next Sunday as well on faith. Lord, increase our faith in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, the Bible does tell us that faith is the key part of the Christian life. It's not money. It's not popularity. It's not how healthy you are, how sick you are. It's your faith. You alone with God. That's what matters right there. That's what God's interested in. God is not interested in just having a whole bunch of children so that he can, you know, put his, his thumbs under his lapels and say, look at all my kids. Ah, yes. Look at them all. He's not, he takes great pleasure in having a lot of children yes he does but God is a god who spends time individually with each and every one that's an important thing to know and that's where faith comes in and our faith is to trust him and what he says in hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 god says but without faith it is impossible to please him you could do a lot of stuff in this world You could sing great songs. You could preach great sermons. You could give great amounts of money to feed the poor. But if there's no faith in God, then it's nothing. It amounts to nothing. In Matthew chapter 17, the Lord Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, that's the smallest of all of the little seeds there. You shall say to this mountain, move or "Vamus," and it should obey you. Faith is so important in first John chapter five and verse four. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. If you want to be an overcomer, you need to be a man or woman of faith. You say, what does that mean of faith? Is that something you Like a commodity, you buy it in a can or something. No, that's not what faith is. Not what faith is at all. Now with your Bible open at Romans chapter 10, I'd like you to look please at verse number eight. We're going to go through these few verses and hopefully make it very crystal clear as to what the scripture is saying. But in verse eight, it says, but what saith it? That means the, the scripture's. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. Now, this is a quotation. It's a quotation from the Old Testament scriptures, from the book of Deuteronomy and chapter 30, verse 14. You can write that down if you like. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14. By the way, it's a good idea to learn to write in shorthand. You know, if you had to write out Deuteronomy 10 times, boy, that would take a lot of ink, it would take a lot of time, and you'd probably get writer's cramp. You know, so what you do is you write DT period. DT period. You can't just write D period because that could be the book of Daniel. You see? So you put DT, that's Deuteronomy, a short form for Deuteronomy. DT, learn to write in in secret code, I suppose. But look at this verse eight again. The word is nigh thee. Now the word speaks of the word of God, the word of God. And this is where faith comes in. It's faith, trust, but trust in what? Imagine a man or woman walking around saying, Oh, I have trust. I'm a man of trust. Yes, I have a lot of trust. Look at me. If you want to see what trust is all about, watch me. I'm a man of trust. Well, that sounds pretty strange, doesn't it? And we'd say, well, sir, what are you trusting in? And he'd say, well, it doesn't really matter. The fact is, I'm a man of trust. I've got great trust. But what or who are you trusting in? Oh, uh, that's not the point. The point is, I'm a man of trust. Now you replace it with faith. And that's exactly what some people today are doing. I am a man of faith. I have faith, great faith. I'm a woman of faith. I'm a man of faith. What do you have faith in? Well, that's not the point. The point is I'm a man of faith. That still makes no sense because faith is this trust toward God, but specifically in what God has said. And if God says something, you can believe it because God doesn't lie. God does not commit sin. God says something. He knows what he's saying. He said, wait a minute. It was 2000 years ago. He said that. Don't you think God knows what God has written in his word stands for all eternity. We stand upon his word. And so verse eight, a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse uh, number. uh, What did I say? 14? No. Yes, I did. Uh, but what saith it? The word, that's the word of God, is nigh thee. Now, in the King James Bible of which we use, and we don't use the King James Bible because you know we're in love with Shakespeare, or we just you know are in love with all the these and thous. But I'll tell you something. The thee and the thou are very specific. It means more than you, because you is a plural number. And it's also a singular number in English today. But when our King James Bible was written, you was always plural. Ye was plural. Your was plural. But thee, thou, thy, thine was always singular. So you knew exactly, you knew exactly who you were talking to. Whether it's one person or two or more people. We purposely use the King James Bible because it is the most accurate folks. It's deadly accurate. That's why we use this blessed old book. The modern Bibles today don't hold a candle to the King James Bible. I know because I have looked at them. I've looked at all of the modern ones and studied them. And I've looked where they got them from too, by the way. And you need to look into that as well. But here, the word is nigh, the N-I-G-H. Why doesn't it say near? Because there's a difference between near and nigh. They're not the same thing. Near. I'm, I'm near to that wall over there. I'm near to it. But I'm nigh to this pulpit. You see the difference? And here, the scripture says, the word is nigh thee. And look at what it says after, even in thy mouth. That's how close it is. The word of God is not just something out there in the proximity. It's right here on your very lips. It's nigh thee. And so this is a very important part of it. You know, other Modern translations, they say it's near. Our King James has got it right. The word of God is so close that it's nigh. It's in your mouth, folks. It's in your heart. That's how close the word of God is. And here it is here. Verse nine, that if thou shalt, Confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. That means saved from dying and going to hell, which is where I should have ended up saved from hell and saved for heaven, which is where I shall be one day. That's what saved means. Saved from the eternal consequence of sin. Also saved from the present power of sin. Back in my teenage years and much to my shame, I had gotten heavily involved with hard alcohol. I used to drink gin straight. The first drink or two used to cut my throat like a knife. But after that, it was numb. I couldn't feel it. And then I couldn't stop drinking until the bottle was empty. And that was my sad lot in life. And I was fast becoming a hardened alcoholic. It had power over me. And the crazy thing is I'd have these hangovers after I'd, you know, the alcohol had worn off. It would leave me with, and I was sick as a dog for like a day or two days. And I'd say never again. And then someone would say, Hey, there's a party Friday night. You coming? And I'd say, okay, after this one, that's like the, the, the man who wants to diet, you know, he, he eats pizza and pop and uh, ice cream all the time, you know, and he's, he's showing it and he's, I, I got to diet. I'm going to start. I'm going to start. I'm starting today. And someone says, Hey, free pizza. And then he says, I'll start tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. Well, that's how I was with the alcohol and I had no control. But when I received Jesus Christ as my personal savior over 46 years ago, Sunday, April 6, 1975, when that day happened and I received Christ as my Lord and savior, all of a sudden there was a release. God took those chains and he broke them. He kicked open wide the prison doors I was in. And all of a sudden I didn't have to drink the, the compulsion that which was drawing me like a, a chain around my neck it wasn't there anymore. It was gone. Hey, I leapt up and clicked my heels. I said, Hallelujah. I'll tell you something the power of Jesus Christ, the gospel, and the power of Jesus Christ can set a man free. And Jesus Christ and the gospel has done more for anyone than all of the writings of Shakespeare, than all of the music of Mozart. Than all of the writings of Lenin and Marx and communism. You show me how many lives have been put back together because of communism. How many alcoholics have gotten victory over alcohol because of communism. You show me, I'd like to know how many marriages, broken marriages have been put back together because of the fine arts, Mozart and Shakespeare. I'd like to know but I'll tell you there are untold millions of broken lives put back together because of Jesus Christ, the gospel, the good news. You don't have to die and go to hell. You don't have to live this life separated from God almighty. You and God can be reunited through Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful news? I, I still think to this day, how fortunate, how blessed I am to be a member of God's family, to be God's son, What a wonderful, wonderful thought to have God as your father, Jesus as your brother. Verse nine, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the word confess means to thoroughly own, to thoroughly own. Can you imagine perhaps if, uh, say this box here, this box I'm holding, supposing that uh, I lost it. I lost it somewhere. I'll put it right there for the moment. And I start looking around and I say, has anyone seen my little brown box? I'm looking for a brown box. Has anyone seen my brown box? And then someone says, well, there's a brown box over here. Is it yours? And I look at it and I say, yeah, it looks like mine. It's got all the scuff marks on it. And I open it up. Yeah. It's got the little hammer in there. That is my box. I thoroughly own it. That's the idea of confess. And if you will confess the Lord Jesus, To thoroughly own him as your sin bearer on the cross. To thoroughly own him as your savior. To thoroughly own him as the Lord of your life. That means the boss, the master. Some people, they only want Jesus as a fire escape from hell. They don't want him to be the boss, the master, the captain of their life. No, I'll be my own captain. Thank you very much. But... Verse nine, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord, Jesus, Lord means boss. Literally, it means the keeper of the loaf. He decides if you eat today or not. He has that much boss control in your life. At home, in our living room, we have an aquarium. I'm the boss, not the fish. I'm the boss. I decide if they eat today or not. Hmm. Is Jesus the boss of your life? Is he the Lord? If he's not the Lord, something's not right. You need to confess him as Lord Jesus. And of course, Jesus means savior. He's savior and Lord. So it says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus and shalt believe, In thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. And many people to this day do not believe that Jesus is alive. They believe he's dead. He was crucified. There's testimony. There's evidence. He's dead. He's dead. Ah, my friend, he's alive. He's alive. He rose from the grave. He broke the bars of death. He is no longer dead. He's alive. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus is alive. When I was in high school, I received a, a lift. I was out thumbing one night on the highway, trying to get home and car pulled over. And lo and behold, it was a, a guy that went to my own high school. Oh, I hopped in there and he was giving me a ride. And the Lord laid on his heart. He was a Christian young man laid on his heart. And he started to talk to me about eternity and about Jesus. And he said to me that Jesus was his best friend. And I thought, let me out of this car. How can anyone be friends with someone who's dead, especially if they've been dead for 2000 years? Come on, huh? And yet he was telling me the truth. It was only maybe two years later that I myself came to believe in this very same Jesus. But I I believe that was the first time anyone had ever told me their faith in Jesus. My Christian friend, have you ever ever, told anyone your faith in Jesus Christ. I don't mean to another Christian. I mean to a non believer. Have you ever shared with them that Jesus is your best friend, that you're born again? You say, well, they'll think me to be a Looney tune. Yeah, they might. But then sometime after they might get saved. I'm looking forward to meeting this young man in heaven. I never saw him again. It's been a lot of years. One day I'm going to see him again in heaven. I'm going to give him a hug. You're allowed to do that in heaven. You know, there's no COVID restrictions there. You know that I'm going to give this dear believer a hug. And I'm going to, I'm going to say, God bless you for sharing Jesus Christ with me. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus and shalt believe the word believe means to completely believe. Absolutely believe. It's like a, Uh, a young man meets a, a young lady and they seem to fall in love and they talk marriage. And he believes that she would be the best wife for him in the world. The only one. And then he says, well, now that I got that settled, I'll see you someday. And he turns and walks away out of her life. You say, well, he couldn't have believed much belief. If he really believed he'd go out He'd buy a box of candy, he'd buy a handful of flowers, he'd go buy a, a diamond ring, he'd get on his knee and he'd beg her to marry him. If he really believed that she was the right one for him, he'd do something about it. A lot of people have a head knowledge, not a heart knowledge of Jesus Christ. They believe in their head, not with their heart. Oh, I believe that Jesus lived and died, and he was a good man. They don't believe that he died for me. For me, he died. They don't believe that. See the difference? So they don't really believe. And here, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth to thoroughly own Jesus as Lord, and believe with all your heart, to believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Saved from heaven, saved from hell, and for heaven. Amen. Verse number 10 for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. That means getting saved. That's what that means. Going from unrighteousness to righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Belief brings you right up to the door of righteousness and confession will take you completely through that door whosoever see verse 13 whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Go back to verse 10 and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Let me tell you something interesting about that word salvation. These days, the Kings and the potentates and the very wealthy men, they they're very afraid of assassinations they're very afraid of the, the assassin's bullet or the bomb, something like that. And so they protect themselves and rightfully so. In fact, sad to say it, but in a number of churches in the United States, there's death threats made on the pastor. And so some of the men of the church take it upon themselves to sort of act as kind of a bodyguard for the pastor in case someone comes in with a knife or a gun or something. That's uh, sad, but it's true. It happens. Well, it used to be, back before they they had long-range rifles with scopes and things like that. It used to be that the kings and the the real uh, rich people were afraid of poisoned food. That was the weapon of choice for the assassin. The king was afraid. And so what he would do is he would hire a man who was a food taster. And this man would taste the food before the king would taste it. Imagine having a job like that. Huh? Imagine that. Say, boy, that would be uh, an interesting job to have, wouldn't it? And then the king watches you. If everything looks right, then he'll go ahead and then he'll eat in the news back in 2009, when president Obama was in power, he went over to France. Um, There was a big uh, ceremony and he was part of it and he was in a restaurant and he actually had one of his uh, CIA agents actually was a food taster for Obama. You can Google that that's in the news. He had a food taster, but these days no one uses food tasters anymore. But back thousands of years ago, that was very common. A food taster Nehemiah in the Bible. He was a food taster for the King. And so here's the point. If the King were to eat a tasty, uh a drumstick or uh, you know, a pork chop or something uh, that had a drop or two of poison in it, you know, that'd be the end of the King. So the food taster would be there tasting it. And uh, if, you know, the food taster, uh, suddenly grabbed his throat then oh you know at least the life of the king was spared right but here's the point the uh the word in latin for for this was called salvus salvus that's how they would pronounce it s a l v u s that's the english spelling of it but the latin pronunciation was salvus and it meant to save or protect the life of the king. You see that? And so the word came also into the Christian realm, salvation. Jesus Christ drank the deadly cup on the cross, the cup of death meant for you and me the Lord Jesus became our food tester and he willingly, lovingly, voluntarily sacrificed his life. He paid what we owe in hell and he did it willingly because he loved us. This is the, where the word salvation comes from. What a rich, meaningful word. You see that? Jesus Christ tasted the poisonous dregs for you. And for me now, verse 11 for the scripture saith, And this again is a reference to several scriptures. There's Isaiah 28 and chapter 49 as well. And Jeremiah 17 for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him. That's on Jesus shall not be ashamed. Listen to me. I've been saved for 46 years. Now for some people, they've been saved for 66 years, 76 years, but our testimony is all the same. Our song is all the same. We're not ashamed of Jesus Christ. In fact, with the passing years, we become more and more indebted to Jesus Christ. We love him more. We appreciate him more. We sing more his songs, his praises, his worship. We're, we're not afraid to let others know that we love him whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. There will never come a time in your life where you are ashamed of the Lord Jesus. Now let me hasten to say there are a few false believers who did not verse nine thoroughly confess him as Lord and did not thoroughly believe him in their heart. And they made some flimsy prayer and they said, there, I'm a Christian now. And then in a month, six months, a year, they've fallen away. They want nothing to do with Jesus. We're not talking about people like that. We're talking about people who have honestly, genuinely heard his sweet voice, felt him as it were knocking on the door of their heart. And they've opened the door of their heart to receive this lovely savior. There will never ever Ever come a time that they will be ashamed of Jesus Christ? Never. That's good to know. So, verse 12 and 13 plainly tell us that anyone can be saved. There's not just a select few. Anyone can be saved. Verse 12 For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. He's not going to run out of salvation. Oh, I'm sorry. If only you'd come a little sooner. We're all, we're fresh out. No more salvations. I've used them all up. Uh Uh-uh, not going to happen. He is rich to all that call upon him. Verse 13, for whosoever, man, woman, young person, black, brown, white, red, yellow, or anything in between. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now look at verse 14 and 15 quickly. Here's God's method of telling people how to be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. It's not talking just about full-time ministers of the gospel. It's talking about all born again, men, women, and young people who will open their mouth like that young teenager friend of mine did back in the early seventies, giving me a ride home one night and told me that he loved Jesus and that Jesus was his best friend. How beautiful were that young guy's feet. This is God's method of telling people how to be saved. It's through other people. That means preaching. It means sharing. And listen to this. It means reading as well. Some people are talented and are able to write and others can read. It means gospel tracts as well. It means going out on Saturdays for an hour with 50 gospel invitations and putting them in mailboxes. We've had a number of hits. What are we up to, Pastor Devian? 143 people have now gone onto the website godanswersprayer.ca and watched the videos, and watched a video on how they can get their prayers answered, and watched a video on how they can know God. 143 people so far. That wouldn't have happened if it hadn't been for the faithful, beautiful feet of volunteers in our church who come on Saturday at 10 a.m. And they help put gospel invitations into mailboxes. Why don't you come and be one of them? You could do that. You know, you could be part of this verses 14 and 15. Now here's the sad news in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah, That's the new Testament way of saying Isaiah, the old Testament preacher for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? And now verse 17. So then faith cometh. Here we go. The basics of living by faith. What this sermon is all about. So then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. You want to have a strong faith. You want to be able to do great things for God. Well, you're going to need strong faith. How are you going to get that faith? It's going to come through the word of God. As you read the Bible daily, you say, but I don't understand it all. You read it anyhow. As you read it, it gets into your soul and into your spirit. You don't feel well. You go to see your doctor. Your doctor prescribes a prescription for you. Well, you don't understand all of the chemical compounds and and all of the intricacies of how it works inside the body. You just have to take the pill every day. And before you know it, you're feeling better. The pill does the work in you. The word of God does the work in you. You just have to be faithful every day. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I'll tell you something. It's there for the asking. If you will ask God, increase my faith, he will do it. Folks, listen, this is not all there is to know about faith. We got still another sermon to go on this, right? But the, be, the basics, it begins here. It's a gift of God. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 says. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that, the faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. And if it's a gift, it's something you receive or you reject. So many Christians seem to resist faith. Sad, isn't it? But those Christians who receive faith, They're the ones who grow. Theodore Roosevelt, maybe you've heard that name. He was one of the more famous presidents of the United States. Well, back many years ago in the Spanish American war, Clara Barton is the, the gal who started the Red Cross. Famous all over the world, the Red Cross. And she was working in Cuba. And one day, Theodore Roosevelt, who was a colonel at that time, he came and wanted to get some food for some of his uh, soldiers who were very hungry and he was offering to buy it. I'll pay for it. And he was turned down and he couldn't understand it. And so what he did was he went to one of the surgeons in charge and explained the problem. And the surgeon said, Colonel Roosevelt, you don't understand. All you need do is, is go to Clara and ask for it. Oh, well, the light bulb went on. It's a gift. This is how the story goes. And so we went back and asked and he got all that he needed. And it's the very same with faith. God will give it to you. The channel through which he'll give it is the word of God. But you need to ask for it. Someone seems to think, well, boy, oh boy, it can't be worth much. If all you got to do is ask for it. You're not understanding what we're talking about. My friend, some people think that just praying to Jesus and getting saved, not having to go to hell. That's a very cheap salvation. Because they think, I need to somehow take out a knife and cut myself, or I need to whip myself, or I need to. No, you don't understand. You're not understanding it, my friend. G. Campbell Morgan was a great Bible teacher. He's with the Lord now for many, many years, but he wrote some great books, preached some great sermons. And back in the day, an old coal miner came to him after having heard one of his sermons and said, Well, he said, uh, Mr. Morgan, I. I know what you're saying, but it just seems like a cheap salvation. If all I got to do is just ask and I'll be saved. And Mr. Morgan looked at him and said, um, uh, well, that's one opinion. He said, tell me, he said, did you, uh, did you work in the mines yesterday? He said, yes, I did. And he said, uh, did you go down deep? Yep. I went down deep. And, uh, how did you, uh, Did you get back out of the mines? How'd you get out? Oh, he said, I get into the cage and up I go. He said, really? Did you have to pay money to get in the cage? He said, no, of course not. The company provides it. Morgan said, it must be a very cheap cage, isn't it? The man said, absolutely not. It's made of the strongest materials. Oh, said Morgan. So it's a very expensive cage, but someone else had to pay the expense on it, right? Not you. And the coal miner stopped and said, I think I know what you're saying is that God paid the expensive part and sent Jesus who died for my sins. But for me, it cost me nothing, but for God, it cost him everything. And Morgan said, precisely. And that's the way it is. If you're watching or listening to this message on a podcast and you haven't yet realized how expensive salvation is, but not to you, but to the giver. Listen, would you come to Jesus today? And those of you who are born again and saved, would you realize once again, the tremendous cost it costs God to get you saved and provide a home for you in heaven? And you know what you need to do is live by faith. So it all starts right here. Doesn't it? Now, would you close your eyes in prayer with me? Our heavenly father, we thank you for so great a salvation. There's no way, no way that any of us or all of us could work together and buy even one man's salvation. And yet father God in your wisdom, in your power, in your riches, in your love, you sent Jesus who gave his all on the cross. And now the expensive parts, all done dead buried. And he rose again. He's alive. And now whosoever will may come. And so great a salvation is offered as a free gift. And father God, I pray that someone today would find Jesus as their personal savior. And Father, I ask for all who are saved to start asking you daily, Lord, increase my faith and do it through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's word.